as your children, but Lord, that we have acknowledged that we are yours. God, this weekend, all we've heard is 
all the stuff that we need to have, that we need bigger, we need better, we need more, Lord, and just such a, just a consumer society, Lord God, we just, we hear that all the time, but Lord, we know the truth is, Father, that we, we do need more, but we need more of you, Lord, we long to know you better, we long to be deeper with you, Lord God, we long to grow with you, and Father, we want this relationship that we have with you to be stronger, deeper, more alive, Lord. And so this morning, God, we just, we set our eyes on you this morning. And Father, we focus this time on you. We focus our hearts, Lord, this time of worship and singing, Lord. We choose, Lord, to place our our attention on you this morning. And God, it is our desire, Father, to grow deeper with you.
That is our desire, God, to know you and to know your heart, that our heart, Lord, would be moved by the same things yours, yours is. God, this morning, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us today. Lord, we want to grow deeper. We want to grow stronger and, and, and know you more, Father. But the only way to do that is to dig into your word, Lord, and to listen to what you have to say to us. And so this morning, speak to us and open our ears to receive what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. See, we have one of those uh, interesting years where there's still a refrigerator full of leftovers. You've eaten turkey and dressing for about three days in a row. And you come this morning and all of a sudden you find me saying, Merry Christmas, it's time to move on. We're moving straight from a season of Thanksgiving to a season of Advent, the time that we're able to, to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Uh, I've been looking for a tool to help me with this season and came across a book by Ruth Haley Barton entitled uh, Advent Reflections. Just some things to think about as we move into this, this time of year. Were any of you up early enough this morning to see the sunrise? Did you catch it today? Absolutely brilliant, beautiful sunrise today. I mean, it was just, it was gorgeous. I was going to Instagram it, but uh, Bob beat me to it. He already had it up, so I just hit the like button and said, yeah, it was, it was an amazing sunrise. And, and what that does is it, it, it lends itself so well uh, to the reading uh, that has been composed for this day. The first Sunday of Advent, they're entitling it The Importance of Waking Up. Listen to what she says in terms of uh, her waking hours before the sun rises. She writes, My favorite time of any day is the pre-dawn moments before the light comes up. The world is dark and quiet, stretching out before me in a hopeful sort of way. Having just awakened from sleep, I am alert enough to savor everything. The dance of light and shadows in the yard, the breeze that plays through the wind chime on the porch, the warmth of a favorite mug of coffee, the comfort of a blanket against the cold. The nearness of God seems especially real in those hours. As I wait for the light, time feels rich and abundant rather than scarce and limited. In the absence of words and before any have been spoken, my soul is calm and clear like the stillness of a quiet pond. There is never any doubt that the light will come, just quiet anticipation. As wonderful as it is to be in the light, morning solitude has taught me that it is even better to be there when the light comes. Being there helps me make contact with this God who comes and is always coming. Like the sun when it is is time, it helps me find my true self in God again. Advent is a season for waking up to all the ways Christ comes to us. Yes, the themes of Advent help us celebrate and commemorate His first coming in the Incarnation. They encourage us to anticipate His second coming in glory, of course. But there's also such a thing as a third coming of Christ. That is, all the ways in which Jesus comes to us now, bringing light to our darkness, peace to our turmoil, and hope for our fears. So this week, let's practice waking up so we don't miss any of the ways in which Christ comes to us every day. Sitting quietly in the pre-dawn hours, waiting for the light to come, almost imperceptible at first, is a way to practice waiting and watching for the coming of the sun into every nook and cranny of our lives. In those early morning hours, contemplate how you are being asked to Open yourself to this one who comes in the midst of your everyday activities. Be prepared to meet your, gra- meet, meet your grace in every circumstance. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, and we don't want to miss it. And they close with the verse, portion of the verse from Romans thirteen eleven that states, Now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. 
I don't know what your Advent practices are, but I want to suggest to you that you might want to go ahead and take uh, the inside of your folder. If you look inside, along the right-hand side, we've listed for you some, some readings from Scripture that you could ponder this coming week. There are four in all. You could either read all of them each day or one each, and it, it correlates with what we've talked about this morning. But there's, another, there's a, a question listed there as well. It says, in what aspect of your life do you have the hardest time experiencing the presence of Christ? Think about that for a moment. In what aspect of your life do you have the hardest time experiencing the presence of Christ? Hold this part of your life quietly before him, inviting the light of his presence into that place. I'd like to close with a prayer, a prayer that we'll say together. And the prayer says this, O holy God, open us up. Open unto us light for our darkness, courage for our fear, and hope for our despair. O God of peace, open to us peace for our turmoil, joy for our sorrows, and strength for our weakness. O generous God, open our hearts to receive the gift of your presence. Amen. Would you go ahead and say that with me, meaningfully and prayerfully? O holy God, open unto us light for our darkness, courage for our fear, hope for our despair. O God of peace, open to us peace for our turmoil, joy for our sorrow, strength for our weakness. O generous God, open our hearts to receive the gift of your presence. Amen. Now one more time, we're going to read it again and pray it again. But this time I want you to change the pronouns I want you to make it very personal, and I want you to own it for yourself. So we're changing instead from our and us to me. Let's read again aloud. O holy God, open unto me light for my darkness, courage for my fear, hope for my despair. O God of peace, open unto me peace for my turmoil, joy for my sorrow, strength for my weakness. O generous God, Open my heart to receive the gift of your presence. Amen. As you're looking at those words, I wondered if you just right now go ahead and choose a line or a word or a concept that the Spirit spoke to you this morning and dwell on it for a moment and lift it up quietly and personally as a prayer to God. Jesus, every day that sun rises, sometimes it's hidden behind clouds, but we know it's there. The sun rises every day faithfully. We count on it. And even more than that, we know that you come to us every day. We can count on you even more than we can count on the rising of the sun. Lord, as we move into this season of Advent, I pray that the light of your presence would shine in every dark corner of our lives, reveal to us areas in which we do not believe or we do not believe the way that we ought. Show us areas in which we have fear that we need to let go, despair that we've been gripping too tightly that we need to hand over to you. God, I pray this would be a season of hope and renewal and change for every one of us. We pray this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, maybe you've been asked already. Are you ready for it? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? So here's what I'm going to do, just to make it easy on your relatives, family, and friends sitting here right now. On the count of three, say it as loud as you can. What do you want for Christmas? One, two, three. Oh, man, you all haven't really thought this out, have you? Now, if this was a group of seven-year-olds, there would be shouting and screaming. They'd know exactly, exactly what they want for Christmas. That question is, it's met with a wide variety of responses. Some people, when you ask that question, they hand you a list. It's typed. It's pages long. It's got highlighting and stars and ones and twos and threes. And I mean, you know, you know what that person wants. For others of us, we're, we're not quite that overt. 
We're, we're a little bit, you know, we know what we want, but we're not going to put it all out there that way. So, so we may say, you know, I, I saw this thing online, or I hear Walmart has a sale, or, or do you see what Bob has? Yeah, I'd like one of those too. You know, we kind of go through that routine instead. Some respond with these answers that uh, I find them a little dangerous, don't know what to do with them. What do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't want anything. Just, I just want you to be with me. Now, when that response comes to you, what do you do with that one? Do you believe it? Do you just decide, yeah, I don't have to buy anything. Cool. Check that one off the list. I think most of us go, yeah, I'll be with you, but, but I'm, covering, I'm covering the bases just in case. One of the toughest answers, though, goes something like this. When a person is asked, what do you want for Christmas? And their response is, I don't know. I don't know. And you hear that response, I don't know. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm on the spot. The challenge has been ramped up. This person has left you very little to work with. Uh, do, you, do they know what they want and just hope you'll guess right? It's kind of a test. Do you really know me? Do you really know what I want? Do you really know what I'm going to say? Is it possible that they don't really have a clue? Maybe they have everything and they have no idea what they want. Or maybe they've suppressed their hopes and dreams for so long that they don't dare express a wish or a desire anymore. I wonder how much of this ritual that we go through every December is a picture a real valid picture of the relationship that the God the Father has with us. He is basically, as we're going through our lives, asking us a question. So what do you want? What do you want? What do you want your life to look like? What would truly make you satisfied? What do you want more than anything else in this world? Now, some of us, We know the answer. Like the little kid, we hand over the three-page list, typed and ready to go. We've got it. Reminds me of the response of a man that we've looked at twice this year. man's name was Bartimaeus. You remember him? Found in Mark chapter 10. He's a blind beggar. Day after day, he sat in darkness, dependent on the generosity and the pity of others. And on this day, he hears that Jesus is going to pass by. Now, that leaves me asking two questions. Two questions that I know I won't get the answer to until I'm standing before Bartimaeus in heaven. And I say, okay, tell me this. I got to know. Here's the first thing I want to know. How did he know Jesus was coming by? I mean, Jesus didn't publish an itinerary. He didn't send out an advanced team to kind of whip up the crowd, make sure a crowd was present or something like that. How did he know? My suspicion is that through the years, Bartimaeus had become a very good listener. For a man that couldn't see anything, he had to depend on his ears. So between the sound of the clinking of the coins in his cup or or the shuffling of those who would just pass by without lending a helping hand, he listened. That was life for Bartimaeus. Dim eyes, but wide open ears, hearing all the details. The second question is even more fundamental. How did he know who Jesus was? How did he even know that he should be excited about the coming of Jesus? He had never seen a lame man walk because of Jesus' touch. He wasn't there and able to see when Jesus took a lunch and turned it into a meal for thousands of people. Again, I suspect he listened. He listened as the crowd talked about this miracle worker, this one who could change your life. When a person is desperate for relief, they're tuned in to solutions and cures. I don't know if you're an infomercial watcher. Generally, you don't watch an infomercial until you want something, right? Until you have a condition, until you find out you have a disease, until you find out you need something. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there at 2 in the morning with the clicker, watching this hour-long show, realizing that for... 17 payments of 1995 you could have all the answers to the world to your to your problems we we get a little bit more desperate when we have a need when we know what we want jesus walked by and he just starts screaming he screams loudly and the crowd tries to silence him but he just becomes more vigorous in his attempts to be known noticed and you know what it worked jesus stopped And he just extended the invitation to join him. And I love Bartimaeus' response. It says, he threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. 
I mean, the first interesting, the first detail is really interesting. He threw aside his coat. This is likely this man's sole possession in the world. It's all he's got. And you think about it. Some of the commentators tell us that when he threw off his coat, he might have been stark naked. Or he threw off his coat, and there he was in his undergarments. But this we know. In his coat, he probably had little pockets. Little places that he stored the money that he'd given, been given to him. The, the few earthly possessions that he had. And what does he do before he approaches Jesus? He throws off everything he has. He throws aside what he has for something better. He casts aside his coat, all of his earthly possessions, for a chance to be with Jesus. Then the Bible tells us he jumped up. No hesitation, no feigned dignity, no false inhibition. He just jumps. There he was, a blind man in the presence of the creator of eyes, standing in front of the person who had invented the ability to see. And then the question, Jesus asked that profound question, what do you want me to do for you? That question hits me funny every time I read it. My response, duh, what do you think I want? I can't see. I need to be able to see. Fix my eyes so that I can see what's going on in the world. But, you know, I suspect for some of us, we would actually stop to think about the answer for a moment. We would find ourselves, rather than just blurting out what our desire is, we'd say, I wonder what I'm supposed to say. What are you supposed to say when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? I'd like an end to world hunger. Please give us three doses of world peace. I mean, what what are you supposed to say? Bartimaeus didn't go down that road. He didn't see asking for sight as too selfish. He didn't ask for something more noble or more spiritual. What do you want me to do for you? Years of sitting in darkness, begging for an existence, left Bartimaeus with little doubt as to how he should answer. My rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. And you know what the next verse says? It says, And Jesus said to him, Go. Notice the command. Go. From here forward, go. For your faith has healed you. The Bible says instantly the man could see. And what did he do? He followed Jesus down the road. Instantly, immediately, fully, complete vision. And the verse ends by telling us that his newfound physical vision led to renewed spiritual vision. He followed Jesus down the road. He he didn't go away. He actually became a follower of Jesus. Jesus had redefined his existence. The only life this man had ever known was a life of sitting, begging, depending on the generosity of others. And once he could see, his old ways didn't seem to make sense anymore. What was he supposed to do with his life? He couldn't sit and beg. He could see now. That day, Bartimaeus didn't only receive physical sight. He began to see life through the eyes of Jesus. Life the way it could be. Life the way way it should be. So we all are confronted with this question. If Jesus were standing there face to face with you today, and he asked you that question, what do you want me to do for you? Do you know how you would respond? What would you say? What would you say? Years of physical blindness had left Bartimaeus a great gift of clarity. He was very in touch with his desires. He knew exactly what he wanted. What we need to understand is that the ability to acknowledge our desires provides a place for Jesus to meet you there. When you can really get in touch with what your desires are, you found the place where you can have an encounter with God. When we articulate our desires, we tap into a very deep dimension of the spiritual life. See, Bartimaeus from there forward was no longer identified by his woundedness. That's not what defined him, his blindness. Bartimaeus was now defined by his desires. So during these Advent weeks, excluding next week, which is a special week, and we'll talk about that later. During these Advent weeks, we're going to focus on this spiritual dynamic of desire and what it's all about. Desire is a foundational element of the spiritual life. 
Even those who do not consider themselves spiritual expose their true spiritual nature in this regard. They have desires. Every person has desires. And our desires speak. They speak loudly. When we get in touch with our desires, we find answers to the deepest longings of our souls. I'm sure you're you're familiar with the concept of the church calendar. It's not like a different calendar where we have different names of months or a different way of dating the the year or something like that. But but it's a a way of setting up the calendar in such a way that there are seasons of, of celebration as well as seasons of desolation. There are times to experience the spiritual life and emotion through togetherness and aloneness, through, through joy-filled worship and, and, and contemplative introspection. Our tradition typically does not follow the church calendar. Churches that are more liturgical uh, tend to take that approach to these ancient patterns and practices. But there are two seasons of the church calendar that I really appreciate. I love Advent and I love Lent. Both seasons of reflection offer us time for contemplation. There are also seasons of anticipation, longing for something deeper, longing for something more. So during these four weeks, we get a chance to really just zero in on a single topic, and they open a door to an aspect of our lives. For these Sundays, I want you to get in touch with that question. What do you want me to do for you? I really want you to get in touch with what are the fundamental desires of your life. It is not possible to answer that question accurately or honestly if we're not in touch with our deepest desires. So every time this Christmas someone asks you, what do you want for Christmas? I want you to hear the words of Jesus in the background. What do you want me to do for you? Every time you ask someone else that same question, what's on your Christmas list? I want you to hear the words of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? You know, desires are interesting. For a lot of people, they think their desires have, a, have kind of a dark side to them. They're, they're selfish. They're fundamentally evil. They're seducing us to do something bad. We don't, we don't like to talk about our desires. It seems like a part of the darker side of us. But here's the truth. Our desires are God-given. The desires in you are desires that have been placed there by God. We looked at this verse just a couple of weeks ago. In Psalm 37, 4, we read these words. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it's funny. A surface-level reading of that verse turns God into a magic genie. If I just delight in God, I can get whatever I want. Been looking at that Lexus commercial. Looks pretty cool. God, I delight in you. Bing! Big bow. There it is in the driveway. Now, it doesn't work that way. He's suggesting something deeper. He's suggesting something more profound. He's saying that when God is my delight, when he is the object of my intense passion and searching, when I find true total satisfaction in him, he will rewire my desires to the things he wants. I'll want what God wants. We'll find ourselves going along with the prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll want what God wants. God put desires inside of all of us. As we're able to identify them, we find that like Bartimaeus, they can lead us not just to the fulfillment of an immediate longing. It wasn't just about being able to see for Bartimaeus, but to a whole new approach to life, to following Jesus down the road. Jesus wants to redefine your existence So there's another thing we need to know about desires. Our desires are God-given, but we also understand that our desires invite us to something greater than the surface desire. He, He thought his desire was to see, but there was something greater going on here. Bartimaeus did want to see. He expresses that. He says in answer to the question, my rabbi, I want to see. But it was only after he was granted his physical sight that he would realize that what he thought was his ultimate desire, our eyesight, was actually a doorway to the fulfillment of a deeper desire. His physical sight helped him to see a new reality, that his old existence didn't fit anymore, that it was time to put that new sight to good use and stare at the back of Jesus as he followed him down the road. You know, we're really funny when it comes to desires. 
People take a couple of basic approaches when it comes to their own desires. Some, somewhere along the way, um, some of us equated desires with temptations. And so what are you supposed to do with the temptation? Suppress it. And so we find ourselves suppressing our desires. We, we may, may have been told they were bad or somewhere we just got that impression. And so we don't dare admit we have desires and we, actually, and we absolutely don't act on them. We suppress them. The other approach is the absolute opposite of suppression. To run after desires with reckless abandonment. To say no to nothing. if, If I want it, I buy it, I grasp it, I, I experience it, I dive headlong first into it. And you see, both approaches miss the point. Desires, the desires you have are doorways to a deeper reality. Let's just look at a couple of basic desires. Hunger is a basic universal desire. If you ignore the desire to eat long enough, you will die. Now, I know a lot of us think that if we don't have lunch this afternoon, we will die. That's not what we're talking about. That's, that may be a, a hunger pang or you're, you're in the habit of eating. But if you go for several weeks for long enough, eventually that hunger is screaming. And if you don't answer it, uh, you will not be living anymore. There's a man named Esau in the Bible. He was so hungry that he sold away his rights as a firstborn child to his younger brother for a bowl of oatmeal. Now, I love oatmeal especially if you put little mini blueberries in it. It's fantastic. But not enough to sell it for something valuable. I'll wait until later. Physical hunger, you know, sometimes it's not very noble, but it serves as a reminder of something deeper. We all have hungry souls. We have a soul that's craving for something, and we've not yet figured out what will satisfy it. We go through this physically, don't you? You're kind of nibbly, you're hungry, you want something. What can I and you're and you're just eating and eating and nothing's hitting the spot. And the same is true for us spiritually. We nibble at life and nothing ever really hits the spot. Look at another desire. What about sexual desire? Oh no, he said the S word in church. Plug the kids' ears. Here we go. A lot of people put stock into a sexual relationship. They think that through a sexual relationship, they'll find love and fulfillment. They'll find intimacy. They'll find deep companionship. Yet, yet the way sex is experienced in our society recklessly results in emptiness. It, it results in a void. I mean, it just bottom line, it's really sad. That sexual desire God gave you. Let me say that again. That sexual desire God gave you. He planted that in you points to something more substantial. Your longing for intimacy will only ever be realized in a relationship with God himself. It will only ever be realized in your life with God. I could list desire after desire, and you would see time and time again that our physical longings, our deeper desires, our deepest desires were implanted in us as a magnet, not just drawing us to food or drawing us to drink or drawing us to sex or something or some possession, but drawing us to life with God himself. Have you ever heard the term empty calories? Is that a familiar one to you? Empty calories is the nice way of saying junk food these days. It it sounds so much more sophisticated. Empty calories are calories from solid fats and added sugars. They're calories with little to no nutritional value. So when you are starving, I've got to eat now, what do you do? You you grab the bag of chips. And, And what that does, it fills your stomach for a moment. It takes an edge off your desire to eat. But the fact is, we've eaten nothing of nutritional value. We have a false sense of being fed. We may be full, but we've not truly been fed. Every desire of your heart can be met in one of two ways. You can fill your desires with short-term, empty calories offered by this world. And you may feel full, but you've not been really fed. Or... You can find your desires met and your deepest longest satisfied in your life with God. The ability to acknowledge desire provides a place for Jesus to meet you there. You've got to come to a point of being able to admit that you've actually got desires. That's the place where you encounter God. 
when we articulate these desires, we tap into a very deep dimension of the spiritual life. So this week, I I want you to take the time to reflect upon a couple of questions. In fact, they're listed in the inside of your folder there uh, in the sermon note area. Set up a time each day to be alone and think. I love the description of that time before sunset to just be quiet and be alone and think. Maybe it helps you to write. Writing helps you to think a little bit more. But but work through these questions. Just kind of think through them. Here's the first one. What do I want? Not just Christmases. What do I want? What are my longings? Go ahead and name your desires. Just name them. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody as they were leaving today, and they said, for years, I've just, I've suppressed the ability to desire anything. Didn't feel like I deserved anything, so I just don't desire anything. Deep underneath there, deep underneath there, there are some longings that you have. Go ahead and name the desires you have. And then do a little bit of connecting of the dots, okay? Take that desire and identify some ways in which your desires are a doorway to something deeper, a magnet drawing you to something more in your life with God. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, this is a busy season. This is not a season for thinking. This is a season for running. I'll talk to you January 2nd. That's all the more reason to carve out time for reflection right now. Slow down long enough to hear your heart speaking. Really hear what's going on inside Your desires, even desires that are inappropriate and misdirected, are the words of your heart. It's your heart speaking. And if you'd explore them more deeply, you just may find that what you think you want has a far deeper significance. Those longings are God calling. They're God calling to you. He's drawing you to something deeper, to something better, to something more. So during this season, this season of preparation, this season of of looking for the light, the light of the world to come, take some time to allow that light to shine into your own soul and ask, God, what do I want? So that you'll be able to answer the question when he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? And you'll see the significance of that and be drawn to something deeper in your relationship with him. Let's talk to God. Father, now as we embark this week on looking inside of us, I pray that we will be able to identify the desires you've placed in us. Some of those desires, they're just, they're cravings that we've had all of our lives and they've never been satisfied. Maybe all of our life we've just wanted one person to love us unconditionally. One person that every time we walk in the room, they smile. I don't know what it is, God, but there's something, something we've been longing for. And you've placed that longing there. You've allowed that longing to remain there, to open us up to a deeper spiritual reality, to open us up to you in a way that we would would not be opened up to you otherwise. Help us to connect with those desires and then connect the dots to see that every one of those desires is just you talking to us, bringing, you, bringing us closer in our relationship with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in the next few moments as we take communion, the bread and cup will come your way. And I'd like you to go ahead. You've got a few minutes right now that are going to be quiet. Some quiet time to start to think through those desires And maybe start to go ahead and connect those dots while you're sitting here. How are the desires of your heart calling you into something deeper with God? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of 
Thank you, God, for your invitations to us, the invitations that come through our desires to draw into closer relationship with you. And I pray again that this season would be one that we would find ourselves as a level of closeness that we have not experienced in a long time because we'd see beyond the junk of this world to see what the season is all about and really what life is all about. It's all about you. And I pray that we would live that way. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as you came in today, once again, you saw the card sitting on your, on your seat. We'll talk about that in a minute. You also had a folder, and on the inside, there's a card that we often put our names on. And I just want to ask you to do one thing. We're going to be uh, sending probably several email communications this week. 
So if you either have never signed up for church email, or let's say you haven't received one in three months. Chances are you're not signed up. I need you to go ahead now before the offering is collected and make sure that we have your email address and your name so that we're able to get those communications out to you. Go ahead and write that on there now. And if you're, you have signed up in the past, you're like, what's going on? I don't receive the emails. It, it might be likely that your, your spam uh, machine is doing its job and you need to go ahead and add our email address to your, to your contact list and those emails will go ahead and get through. But we want to make sure that you receive the communications of this next week. It's going to be really important. Servers will come now and receive the offering. And while they do, I want to talk about this card. I, I, love, I love this image that, that Daisy captured for us uh, sometime last summer. I mean, that, that image just says it's an invitation to a dream. It's an invitation to come and dream with God. And that's, that's what we've been doing now for, for several months, really for years, but, but months in particular, as we've looked at the ways that God will provide us a permanent home in this community so that we will be able to operate at a level of effectiveness that's even greater than the one we've been doing right now. If you've driven by, you see some things starting to happen. Not only are the trees down, but now the silt fencing is up. And we're getting very, very close to uh, watching dirt move. And and just some great things happen over on that property. When we uh, voted last summer to go ahead with this, we said, hey, in order to do this, one of the things we're going to have to do is not just get behind it by saying, yeah, I want a building, but to actually say, yeah, we're going to sacrificially give toward this cause. And so we've... uh, we invited a group of people to spend 11 weeks together praying and asking God what they would go ahead and do. And they, they paved the way for us and, and, and said they would bring about $70,000 to that cause. And then we've asked the rest of you to go ahead and pray for these 11 weeks. And the back of the card offered you questions that you were to be asking God and praying to God, ways that you could say, how can I participate in this? Well, December 8th is finally just around the corner. It's literally next week. And so I want to invite you to a day of celebration. And there are a few things, details that you need to know. The first, this affects you guys. Um, there will be one service and it's going to start at 9.55. That means you're going to show up about a, a half hour earlier than normal. If you show up at your normal time, you'll be about halfway through the church. Or halfway through church. And half a church service doesn't count for heaven points. No, <laughs> actually none of them do. But anyway, that's a different point. But we want you here on time. So we're getting both services together in the same place. Um, the, the kids, Southfield Big Kids and Little Kids, will have their own special program. We'll actually have the drop-off open at 945, so you're able to get your kids in there and come on in. And then after, we're going to have a time of just some fun together, bagels and sweet breads and, and enjoying the time. But one of the things you may be wondering is, you know what, December 8th, why that date? What's that all about? Why is that, why is that significant? And why couldn't we have done this in, in February when things are dead? I mean, Christmas is happening right now and so much is going on. And here's what this really comes down to. The more that we're able to, to bring in now, it does a couple of things. It brings down ultimately the amount we'll need to borrow, which means what? For 20 years, we won't be paying interest on money that you were able to raise now. And that's pretty significant. Basically what that means is whatever we're able to do now is worth a lot more than it will be later. So that's a big piece and it's really important. But there's also another piece of this and that is the more cash we have on hand now means the later that we have to start tapping into our loan. And so if we're able to push off starting to tap into the loan into early spring as opposed to late winter, that's just a little bit more. You start looking at the way that interest accrues and everything else, and we could really do some great things in terms of bringing that amount down a little bit. So so that's a piece of why we're doing this. But, But there's another thing that's really important. Why one day? Why not just say to everybody, hey, give to the building, you know, We'll, we'll get there. It'll all work out. There is something significant about doing something together as a group of people. I don't know if you've ever done team sports. I was not an athlete, okay? I'm just going to flatly admit it. All the athletic ability of my children comes from my wife, none from me. I'm great at fantasy sports. I get that, okay? So in other words, what I understand is solo sports. Maybe you've been involved in solo sports. You were a runner. You did something that didn't involve a team. It only involved you. What do you do when you win? You know, I mean, you just finally won this race and you kind of, yeah, all right, high five me. Or I, I've been through this one. You're in the fantasy football league and you'll win. 
and you're sitting there at your computer and you're staring at the screen and it's done and you go, yeah! And now you look like a weirdo, you know, because you're cheering because you just won a non-sport. How exciting. But the bottom line is you know full well that when you win as a team, it's so cool. You just watch the most recent World Series. The game ends and you have grown men mobbing each other on a mound, having fun. Now, we're not going to do a mob mound next Sunday. Don't worry. Don't, don't get tense, especially for you introverts. You're like, oh, my word, I can't come next week. No, that's not the idea. The idea is that we get to celebrate some something that God did through us together. And that's going to be a really cool dynamic. So it's possible that you won't be able to make it next week. Every week you have the ability through that envelope. It's a pre-addressed envelope. You can go ahead and send your offering in so you can be part of that day. Um, If you need other ways to make arrangements, Kim will be glad to help you out. And that's listed on your folder today. One of the things that's really cool, we had an opportunity to come up here just this past week. Two families have agreed to do something that that I think is a a pretty neat idea. So it's almost Christmas time, and you know how this works. Maybe your grandma or your aunt, someone always gives you that Christmas check. You can count on it. You know, the 50 bucks, the whatever. My uncle loved to give us silver dollars. That was his thing, you know. So you're trying to help your kids in particular see see that, you know, giving is important. It's helpful. What what we've done, we've got two families who have basically said... Up to $5,000, they'll match whatever re-gifted Christmas presents come in. This is one time re-gifting is good. So you may want to ask Grandma in advance, hey, I, can you send the check now because I'd like to re-gift it toward the church. And what we'll do, we'll make sure those are designated separately. What you're able to say to your kid is, you know, if you give $5, what you've in fact done is given $15 which is a really cool way to motivate someone who might be saying, you know, I didn't feel like I could really do all that much. And anybody that says that, you kind of go back, who, what's the one offering Jesus commended in the Bible? It wasn't the day that there was big money that came in. It was a widow who gave everything she had. So we get that opportunity next week to go ahead and give what we have, give what we can uh, in order to see something great happen. It's going to be a really fun day. Hope you're a part of it. Hope you're with us. And we'll be able to celebrate the great things God has done for us, through us and for us. This morning as we were getting ready, uh, we were getting ready to set up. Trailers always pull up right out here if you've never seen it. They pull up out here and we start to unload. Got everything unloaded out onto the sidewalk. And we were waiting. We normally start setting up, you know, 7.15, 7.20. And we're waiting. And it's 7.25. And then it's 7.30. And then it's 7.35. And we're kind of waiting. And finally, we, we call and we find out no janitor was scheduled for today. They forgot that December 1st existed. So, so there's nobody scheduled for this day. And I leaned over to somebody and I said, next year, we'll have our own key to our own building. And this won't happen. And that'll be cool. That'll be very cool. But here's what was neat. This crew... I mean, they're like, they're like Superman and Super Jane. It's crazy. They just whipped and zipped. They got this thing. We, we didn't get in here until about 5 to 8. And they got everything set up, and the first service had no idea, no idea how fast that setup happened. You know, I know churches that do setup, and they literally start at 4 in the morning for a 10 o'clock service. This crew got our church set up in a half hour. And that was fantastic. So if you know any setup people today, you might want to say thanks to them. Uh, Just an amazing thing, amazing opportunity. But I am looking forward next year to turning the key. The chairs are there, the heat is on, and we're good to go. Let's stand and we're going to sing together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his home. Sim 
We'll see you next week at 9.55. I was a little girl alone in my little world Who dreamed of a little home for me I played pretend between the trees and fed my house life and